Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. In fact, now we're just a DLF podcast, which I'm going to talk to about because I forgot to schedule a guest for this week. Or I thought I had one scheduled, then it turned out I didn't. So we're doing something else this week. I'm going to talk about some takeaways from week one, and then I'm going to run through some early takeaways from the week two Sunday games, which I haven't even had a chance to really pour over the data or write my article. So you'll be the first to know. I hope that sounds exciting. Anyway, thanks for checking us out again. Let's go. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. Hey, so you can find all my weekly data, which I have now included ranks, red zone touches, red zone EV routes, as well as some other things, as well as a tab where you can just look up on my patreon you can see you know the weekly data going and the seasonal data the same thing but going all the way back to 2018 and in addition to the season database that we we're using in the off season my pin tweet my pin patreon post and uh, the 2022 version like the 2021 version is free it's just data that i put out for everyone and i use to write my articles and everything else but you know i'm writing two articles a week for dlf so that's fun because you've got to get them out by wednesday and the data really finishes updating by Wednesday, so that's cool. Uh, the Dynasty Grind's going pretty well, Wednesday, every 9.30. I'm not vamping, I'm also just telling you where I am and what I'm up to. This feels relevant to the Dynasty Cross. Let's see what else. Uh, my projections are going out, updated three or four times as injury news drops. Uh, again, there's a link on Patreon, link in my link tree, link in the links on this podcast episode, for that matter. Um, and kind of getting it all together, uh, trying to fit in time to update my ranks. The Dynasty Crossroads itself has undergone some changes. We're now not a member of the DLF family of podcasts. We're now a DLF family podcast. The change should be absolutely nothing for you. Although if DLF gets subcontracted to do a live read or an ad, I will have to read it on the Dynasty Crossroads because it's now technically their podcast as opposed to mine. I was... Surprised to find out that I own something, but there you go. So they can put live ad reads or ads or subscriptions or whatever else they may get um, onto the crossroads now or have me do for that matter. I think that's going to be the main change since I don't use advertising or ad reads or have any sponsorships. That's never been an issue before on the crossroads. Uh, it's now a formalized relationship, which is really why it changed, because BetSpurts, a company that bought DLF and other companies for that matter, um, including my fantasy life, um, want to formalize, understandably, as a more serious company than just a bunch of dynasty nerds trying to play dynasty. And they wanted to formalize relationships. Who is everyone? What do they do and why? Um, just thought I'd let you all know what's going on there. Uh, today what I thought we'd do is do, I had a really good idea by Friday, and by today, Sunday night, 
Um, I've decided it's not a 30-minute idea. It's a fun rant that it might have been well on the Dynasty Grind or something like that or in conversation for another podcast, but I, I think it's something I want to talk to you about, but then I think there'll be some space, and so I thought we might do a week-to-week content on the Crossroads. I'm doing the Dynasty Grind for live questions. I'm on Patreon. I'm in Discord. I'm on Twitter. You can contact me anytime for that kind of thing or individual questions. Um, I'm doing a YouTube video every Friday, which, again, is after the Thursday game, but it's still week takes, uh, takeaways from last week. Just a quick and dirty, here's things I'm noticing. Um, and so I thought here on the crossroads, since it's midweek two right now, like we just saw the Sunday games, um, I thought I'd go through some box scores. And even though the data hasn't dropped, I can put, I can make some observations about each individual game and players um, and things that I note through them. But first, uh, I want to talk about uh, a thought I had on Friday that I thought would be the whole episode. Um, on Friday, I was reading CD Lamb t- tweets and also content and ideas and watching rankings change. And it occurred to me that I think of CD Lamb at this point. The reason I was conflicted on him because the idea is a great player or a player you think is good, you probably higher on the the average, falls in value for a reason that's kind of not related to whether they can be good. Right? Dak Prescott gets injured and they have a bad week one. That doesn't you know, doom his career or what he's already done to this point. Um, so you go and buy loads. The same with Deck Prescott, actually. Those are the players we've been sending offers on in our leagues trying to buy low, sell high, whatever it wants to be. And the reason I was conflicted with CD Lamb is this was a prove-it in terms of ceiling year for CD Lamb. Now, week one, what I noted and wrote in my articles and wrote on Patreon and talked about on the Dynasty Grind was that his volume was there. Like, miraculously, he wasn't limited to a 19% target share because, in fact, most year three top 12 breakouts aren't. They actually have a 19% target share on average. So, like, 75% of the group, to be fair, have a 19% target share or in and around that number. Um, but it was still a prove it yet. We still haven't seen a Jalen Waddle season from C.D. Lamb. And the fact Jalen Waddle had done it year one meant to me I was more inclined to trade for Jalen Waddle. In fact, I did. I have him on 60% of rosters right now. And the reason it's not 100% is because of some league-specific reasons where I shouldn't trade for players right now because I'm building. And also one guy backed out because it's a multi-copy league. And there's only one copy of Jalen Waddle and he just wanted to have that. What occurred to me Friday is the reason CD Lamb, I wasn't getting m- many good responses from my trade offer. So I, the max I sent was two 24 first round picks. I don't really have 23 first round picks in that league to trade. So I sent two 24th. Um, and that was kind of my value line. I will trade for CD Lamb if he's worth two firsts. And that was literally two firsts. Instead, I tried to make it up some other ways in different trades, like CD Lamb and a top 24 wide receiver. And I got turned down summarily. And reading a lot of the discourse on C.D. Lamb, it occurred to me that I don't think people are realizing how dependent on his points this year C.D. Lamb is. I think C.D. Lamb's volume in week one, and now we've seen it again in week two, means that his points will follow. If he cannot have a pretty good season, like a really good season this year, Cooper Rush be damned. And in fact, Cooper Rush did perfectly fine in week two. um, Then that's what my takeaway will be. He will be a year four player without a top 12 season on his record. He starts to enter the downward slide of players less likely to have top 12 seasons. Terry McClellan's already in it, for example. So C.D. Lamb for me was a very young, very talented player. I believed had established enough in week one to show that he was going to have the wide receiver one role on that offense, despite Noah Brown being one of those week one variances. 
Uh, and CeeDee Lamb's volume would follow points, whoever the quarterback was, and who's going to have a better year than he's had before. But that's what I'm trading for now that there is more concern than originally. And I think most Dynasty players see CeeDee Lamb as a strong hold in Dynasty. Points be damned. Um, well, there's a lot of nuances to it, and I think the reason this isn't a 30 minutes episode of the podcast, just this point, is because honestly, all players are points bets in season. And so I think I'm exaggerating the point a little bit, but I do think it's gotten a little twisted for Dynasty. Now, it is always a, a reasonable and, and verified, what's the word I'm looking for? It always, it's always a go-to play in Dynasty. It is allowed, we do, in fact, it's one of the fun to just go to the mattresses for a player, to hold on for dear life and hope in the long run you're right. Corey Davis, Juju Smith-Schuster are two of my examples. Normally it doesn't work out because holding on for dear life instead of updating your opinion is usually a bad idea. And that's what was why I couldn't go high enough to get C.D. Lamb and why a lot of the talk on C.D. Lamb right now just it didn't hit right. The stuff I've read, the stuff people are saying on Twitter, it's not right. If you, let me say it clearly, if you don't think C.D. Lamb can get 15 points per game this year, you should trade him in Dynasty, especially, especially if you're building. You see, I think that's where we might get it twisted. Like, if I'm not competing this year, if I've had a bad week one and I knew I was going to suck this year, I have a Superflex League where I have no quarterbacks. I know I'm not winning or competing and it would cost too much to get there. So I've been, um, and on those teams, if I have CD Lamb, I want to sell him. Now your team might not be that bad, but you might still be looking towards next year, like a Zach Reed identifying a class that you like and deciding to build your team anew all around that class, whatever your process may be. If you're on one of those teams, especially on Friday before week two kicked off, uh, and we'll look at the box score a little bit here. Um, I think C.D. Lamb was a sell. You have, If you don't think he can get 15 points per game this year, managing risk in Dynasty, not avoiding risk, but managing it, I think the best process was to sell C.D. Lamb. Why? Because he was in a tier of value which included Michael Pittman, and this was after his fall, after his week one, on keep trade cut because that's a much more sensitive to sentiment on a week-to-week basis um, then ADP, anywhere it happens to be. Uh, we talked to Jason Stein about this last week, so uh, we have an insight, somewhat of a bigger insight about what Keep Trade Cut can do. Um, and he had fallen, but he'd fallen into a similar value tier, into that Keep Trade Cut number, and in terms of his rank, to Michael Pittman and Jalen Waddle and um, Debo Samuel is actually in there, and he stands out as someone who's a little undervalued. If I was running Jason's formula right now, I'd assume he'd be a little undervalued. And that, to me, meant trade. Not because I can directly trade for Waddle in every league, but you should. And some trades, I saw people trade Waddle for C.D. Lamb. That's getting hosed, in my opinion. Whether you're on a win-now team or not, you're trading a good young player for a good young player who has not proven it yet. Why? Like, you had the thing. It's not trading a boat for a maybe a boat. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's trading a yacht, and like a, a, a two million all expenses, all frills paid yacht for an for a, for a unidentified ship you haven't seen yet who you think might be a yacht. The things going in C.D. Lamb's favor were true of Jalen Waddle, but Jalen Waddle had already established a higher ceiling in a more impressive manner in an earlier career year. 
And if the, well, it's not even if all else is equal. The higher your ceiling, the higher ceiling you hit earlier establishes a higher expectation moving forward for your career. Now, not always. We know there are exceptions to Devontae Adams, to Hunter Renfro, and to later breaking running backs like Derek Henry. But by and large, when you see a player hit a, hit their ceiling finally break out, that is more likely to tell you the limitation on what you can expect for their future. Most top 12 breakouts happen with a top 36 breakout on their record, 70% of them have, but they haven't yet hit the top 24. Even for third-year career breakouts, one of the worry signs, or the only red flag on CeeDee Lamb's profile, is he's actually been technically a little bit too productive in year two, hitting the top 24. Looking at the average of breakouts, it made him the most likely breakout candidate for this year, which it gets rough when you look at a player's individual situation, then you lose their quarterback, and Noah Brown starts going off, and maybe you want to leave a little extra leeway, and I do... But that's what I'm trying to avoid more and more, especially while playing Dynasty in much smaller time windows. And that's what this problem is, I think. In Dynasty, we think long-term, and we try, but we often try to therefore act long-term. While it is silly to look at a week one result and say that player is bad, we do balance the result with our expectation and adjust with it on a week-to-week basis. In fact, one of the best edges in Dynasty at all is moving faster, not holding on. Now, are you going to miss on players sometimes? Well, yeah, uh, Deontay Johnson was a little bit of a delayed breakout. Uh, the exceptions that we just mentioned, like um, uh, Deontay Johnson and Derek Henry, um, are still there. Devontae Adams is still there, which is why you adjust value, you don't throw it away. While it is fun to have strong takes, this player is bad, this player is good, really we're trying to move the cursor up and down a slide bar about our how reasonable it is to expect something more than what they're currently costing, which is boring and nerdy, but this is the damn crossroads. <laughs> um, so it fits, right? And with C.D. Lamb, if you could trade for that value, and, you know, I got a lot of questions and a lot of comments and a few DMs saying, hey, I only get these trade offers. Are you saying this? And the answer every time was no. Like with all trade advice, especially when you're talking generically, it's always at value. Like it's, and I explained it to one person in the DM they sent me is, it's like not liking um, a player at their draft round. But if they fall by a round, you're really excited to draft them. That's playing fantasy well, let alone playing dynasty. And a dynasty is that decision on asset. If you have to adjust based on your team situation, because you do in dynasty, and you're at all not winning, it makes a lot of sense. And he had a better week too, and we're still in that window. If you are not winning this year, if you're not the competitive team, if, if for whatever reason you're not trying to win exactly this year, and I know it's only week two, but by week three, I want to make a strong decision about that. So buckle up your pants. It is time to go find those pants, strap them on, and make a decision about your dynasty teams this time next week. So, like, you better be trying to formulate an opinion. And now, again, you don't have to play the way I play, but I think this works. And I think it's a good idea, especially considering the stabilization of volume and role thresholds by week three and everything else we're talking about in those Patreon and DLF articles. It definitely looks like a good move. As Dynasty gets increasingly sharp, there is always a strong in-your-leagues context. If you're only getting offers for like some third-round rookie wide receiver and a second for CeeDee Lamb, then you're just keeping him. 
and you're fine. 90% of fantasy players only play redraft. Of the 10% that play dynasty, probably 2% of us are on Twitter or this dialed in. That's not better players, better leagues. It's just reacting as ADP and value suggests. And so you've got to know your league a little. Not much. There are very few players who are insulated from their actual seasonal results. And especially at running back, yeah, there are not. But um, everyone outside of that top tier kind of is. So everyone's a points bet. But if you are not winning or at all not in the top half of your league, I think it's a really good idea to trade out a CD Lamb. If you can get Waddle, I definitely don't think you could do that anymore. Or Pittman. But you could on Friday, which is why I thought it was a really good idea. I saw some trades like that in the DLF trade calculator. Trade finder, sorry. Elijah Moore or Devontae Smith. Are they build later or building trades that you go and offer? Or are they win now trades? And I think in season, young players who haven't quite proven, especially the ceiling you're hoping for yet, um, are very much trade aways if you're building counterintuitively because we think of the young good players as the ones that you want when you're building but honestly in season the points are what matter and they're going to strongly affect everyone outside of that tier one value if you're winning now it's a really good idea to trade for cd lamb and yet i think we've got it slightly twisted because we're we're mixing age with points what are the possible outcomes in their value from this point forward and then divide it by two whether you're trying to win or whether you're trying to not win. And there are more positive outcomes, and they're more likely to be positive on non-winning teams if you trade away CD Lamb at value, at value, at value. Don't give him away for nothing. All right. Um, and yeah, you could have gotten some extra shares of Jalen Waddle, and that would feel pretty pretty smart right now. Or Pat Faramuth on a 2023 third. Let's go. Anyway, some takeaways from Week Two Sunday games. They just happen again. I don't I don't even have the data yet. I can't export it into my sheet and do most of my uh, stat works on it. That's what I'm going to write about this week. So please, 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 please check it out, and um, or check out the Dynasty Grind or that YouTube video I'm putting out every Friday because I'm I'm grinding out here, guys. Uh, I really appreciate the sport. So the first game of the week was obviously Chargers versus the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was telling the truth. This offense is remarkably spread. It's actually something we remarked on last week when we talked about McCall Hardman having a significantly high, the same expected point share as Gabe Davis, but on a more spread offense on the dynasty grind. Um, but I don't think I fully let that filter into my head. This week, Juju Smith-Schuster got not fun amount of targets he got three targets he did catch all of them look at that uh, but only for 10 yards and no touchdowns and um, I think this is going to be a feature of the Chiefs it always kind of is it's just Hill was all, always had game-breaking ability this means Juju isn't significantly earning targets enough to establish a lot of target share role now again it's only two weeks but by week three out of three data points and I have a much firmer opinion something I do want to delve into a little bit here I've heard because of route participation and his role on the team from people that crank through play-by-play data. In fact, the guy who just got hired by Fantasy Life to do his do the analytics side of that, that he's due regression. I have to be clear on this. It, what's his name? Dang it. Dwayne. Um, he really knows what he's talking about. I don't see it. I saw a week one where Pacheco was brought in to salt out the game. And I know when we're talking rates, that doesn't necessarily matter. And that's also a very important role, especially when you're playing for the Chiefs. And I'm not diminishing Pacheco here. I'm just suggesting I don't see CEH's role through one game or through this Thursday game 
as being due regression. Clyde Abertilaus has the most valuable in terms of expected points, in terms of how many times he runs a route and the passing plays he's on the field, which is a calculation I ran with, with the new stats that I got from PFF. Thank you, Patreons, for getting behind that paywall finally. So I can start adding that more regularly to the weekly data, not just the seasonal data. Um, is really good. He's got a decent rushing attempts share. He's got a decent target share. And when you break it down by routes per passing player he's on the field for, he's running a lot of routes. And he's also playing fairly well. He's still Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Whatever you thought of his talent last year is still true this year, if you do such calculations. But I think this role could actually pay off a hope that this season he'd be one of those third most common top 12 breakout seasons in his third year. Um, Currently, right now, he's being valued, at least on Twitter and on Keep Trade Crowd, around about a second-round pick. And I think if you're looking for a running back this year, honestly, I don't mind throwing that at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Maybe uh, Giga Brains know more than me. But just by the way I look at it, the the value of touches on the Chiefs, a lot are going to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's performing decently on them, and it's at a sustainable rate. Um, Chargers. The surprise on this offense for me at all um, is Gerald Everett. That fourth year or that later year tight end breakout that was misused on a previous offense is not a new trope. We talked about it a few different times with, frankly, Irv Smith is one that comes up a lot. Now, Everett's an athlete and was an incredibly good receiver in college, and we kind of liked him as an underside prospect, but I gave up on him long ago, and I I don't understand those depth tight end ads, despite them often being game winners, because I'm normally looking for... Um, the Pat Faramos of the world, the ones who fit inside those breakout windows that happen more commonly. But Gerald Everett, especially if he keeps that up, and he's the one who did in terms of his role um, through two weeks, I'm going to have to do, uh, I'm going to have to dig back into Gerald Everett. And um, Bears and Packers, I'm starting to worry about Donald Mooney. I was asked if he was a buy low in like building teams, which is a good question to put into our game theory chart, right? Always by bad players when they are discounted because of poor results in the immediate term as a rule but because there is risk in that because Kenny Golladay's do happen because some players do just peter off especially with low draft capital that's why they always get that slighter ding even though it's horrible and people shouldn't do it um there is risk but I think I will be higher on that risk than anyone else uh, something extreme happens Cole commit ain't it um, I mean, hold him because it's Dynasty and we just saw Gerald Everett do something, but I, I really don't think he's going to be a streamer. Make sure you mention this year until we see something different. The Packers, there are some more interesting news. All those targets that were going to vacate didn't vacate. And the order of targets so far in terms of depth chart is almost exactly what the uh, breakout formula spat out. It's players who have had a top 24 season before, Randall Cobb, Christian Was- uh, and Sammy Watkins, then there's Christian Watson, and then there's Alan Lazard and Romeo Dubs and everyone else below them. Yeah, they didn't vacate. Well, surprise, surprise. Um, didn't spend it on last year's first-round receivers. Um, by all means, look to incorporate them as part of a trade where you're getting more draft value. But if you're building, Christian Watson's an interesting ad, but not as a centerpiece and not for 23 draft capital. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are interesting. They're splitting off roles, but this is actually just the Green Bay backfield, all the way back to Eddie Lacy and James Sparks, to be honest with you. And Aaron Jones is still a stud, as you know, he just dominated the Bears this week and with 132 rushing yards and a touchdown, and also three targets for three receptions. 38 yards, and, uh, you know, just throw a receiving touchdown on there. Yeah, I, I think uh, Aaron Jones has confirmed hashtag good once again. 
Texas Broncos, uh, the actual big takeaway, uh, another L for me, Russell Wilson is not doing well. Maybe you could say he's trying to get used to a new scheme. This is the easing in period. It was nice to see Cortland Sutton dominate the depth chart in the receiving game. And yeah, it looks like he's winning the wide receiver one on that team. Um, 122 yards out of 11 targets for seven receptions. So, and it's going to be rough to expect that every week. Through week one, by the way, Javante Williams um, has established he is running back one on that offense. Um, through expected opportunity, he was doing that week one. He was getting the high-value touches because um, Javante Williams is looking like the guy everyone overdrafted him to be this year. Texans, Nico Collins actually had a really solid game, despite you know me just still basking in all the hatred Nico Collins vacated truth targets truthers threw at me he did get nine targets he just only caught four of them for 58 yards he had a really solid game he probably is running wide receiver two on that offense but it's Brandon Cooks is pretty much the only startable asset from this team for me apart from Davis Mills Damian Pierce did come back to life a little bit and get 15 carries this week he's a top he's showing the potential of a top 24 running back like, if there's some lag from week one, by all means, add him if you want a top 24 running back. But my experience, you don't want a top 24 running back. They don't win in the flex. The desperation plays um, as running back ones. And running back two production is replaceable infinitely, especially in Dynasty. But yeah, week two show kind of what we expected after the draft. While we expected something more when everyone else realized that's what we were expecting during the preseason, I still don't know. I mean, yeah, he's still worth a second-round pick who's always worth. San Francisco 49ers versus the Seahawks. Look at that. Kyle Shanahan just immediately turned to the RB2 in his depth chart and gave him the touch. This is so incredibly predictable at this point. Yeah, Jeff Wilson is going to be the running back. Unfortunately, Elijah Mitchell, the other top 12, later top 12 breakout we maybe were hoping for. His injury history has caught up with him again. Brandon, I, I don't know we can take much away from a game where Trey Lance, unfortunately, we lost him for the season um, due to a horrific injury, to be honest. It is his ankle. It's not. He should be able to come back from it, but it was horrific in terms of what happened to him. Um, so Jimmy Garoppolo rosters have a quarterback. Yay. Um, and we at least know there's a decent flaw with Jimmy Garoppolo because we've seen him perform in this offense just last year. I mean, I will start Tyler Lockett now and again um, as a top 24 wide receiver, honestly, because he, he's just always been the best wide receiver there. Dynasty, DK Metcalf is the best wide receiver, and it continues to be by low season on DK Metcalf, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, Rashad Penny's a running back of the Seahawks, but it's not nearly as exciting as I would have imagined a couple years ago when he was first drafted, when I finally got to say that sentence. Um, rookies this year, Falcons versus Rams. Drake London's having a really good put a hashtag I don't want rookies from this class outside of Burks and Brees Hall and Brees Hall's kind of in a much heavier committee than I would have expected but um yeah Drake London's having a really this is an amazing start to a rookie clear let alone a rookie season Drake London's really hitting it I really think Garrett Wilson's volume is a little more impressive in terms of the expectation of the value on his volume he's getting in a committee with Elijah Moore um but yeah, Drake London's it, and he's probably, he was, what, wide receiver 13 in Superflex before the season started. I, I maintain that's crazy. I will never, I will never not call that crazy. Traylon Burks is also having a pretty decent season, but I'm not going to get to the Titans today. Uh, Kyle Pitts, I'm getting a lot of questions about that. Look, Evan Ingram's having a pretty good week this week. Uh, caught some touchdowns, put up a decent PPR day. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is probably still talented. Um, 
And remember, I was never brave enough to say Kyle Pitts is going to be bad. I was just cowardly enough to point out that his value was crazy for most of the time outside of a rookie draft. Um, and that's biting some people in the butts right now. But it is actually one of those situations where, and I think Kyle Pitts' season is going to be bad from this point on. I really do. It could bounce back. It's could move up we could expect a change in the way he's being used but he's not being used like he was last year and um, but he probably still has that talent so you know by talented people people uh but be cautious with it he's probably still holding a remarkably high value uh 2023 first value is not really tradable if you're building and i don't think kyle pitt's points look likely to bounce back more consistently this year so i don't see many great situations where you trade for him unless you're all in on the long-term value play of kyle pitts which is possible patriot steelers um yeah pat ferris continues to get the targets i just i've mentioned them several times because i'm really happy with the way that's shaking out it was such a discount i've traded for him a few more times since the season started um, seven targets this week. Really weird that he only got 22 yards. I want to dig into the information to find out what's going on. Like, you can't keep getting those targets if you don't produce yards at some point, Muth. Like, it'll go away. But he did catch a touchdown saving his fantasy day. Deontay Johnson. Uh, there's probably still a dip in Deontay Johnson's value. He was in that tier, by the way, with Lamb and with um, C.D. Lamb and, and with uh, Jalen Waddle and Michael Pittman. And I want him for less than that value in the same way I want C.D. Lamb for less than that value. Um, but I think he's much more easy to trade below or just below that value line. Like, Deontay Johnson's good, man. I'm not telling Tom Brady's just amazing, man. Bucks versus Saints. Uh, just leading the league in awesomeness with Russell Gage as a wide receiver one. Don't buy Russell Gage. Don't buy Scott Miller or Brashard Perry. Mike Evans was locked down by a good quarterback matchup. Um, Rashad White's a stronghold in Dynasty for if something really good or really bad happens to take uh, Leonard Fournette off the team. And Michael Thomas saved his fantasy day with that touchdown, really. Nine targets, though. He, he's really back to being the guy. Jarvis Landry's weak usage last week did look shady. He, and even in like a heavy pass game script here. How many attempts have we got? We've got 40 attempts from Jameis Williams. You know, this Tampa Bay defense might be something you want to pay attention to. And not saying Jameis... Jameis Winston is any measure but it's something we noticed last week as well and these are good wide receivers and, and the offense really spread out and Michael Thomas managed to have a good fantasy day Chris Alave had so many air yards and absolutely no completions um, well he did get 80 yards in the end sorry I hadn't seen the final stats Jarvis Landry 5 targets 25 yards somewhat disappointing for the veteran team old guy James Robinson is good Man, and he is a running back one in Jacksonville. I was pretty sure after week one, but I was still being hesitant about it. Nah, it's James Robinson's season. Uh, ETN's a backup. He's got somewhat of a receiving role. Not dropping him or panic selling in Dynasty unless it's for a first-round pick. Um, Evan Ingram had eight targets, by the way, that good fantasy day I mentioned. Seven receptions, 46 yards, no touchdowns, but a decent tight end fantasy day. Christian Kirk is probably undervalued in Dynasty, and it's not the two touchdowns. It's consistently having wide receiver one target volume there, and he had six this year. Caught all six of them. Again, there's a level of efficiency here with the two touchdowns. 78 yards. I mean, Christian Kirk... Corey Davis has also put up weak, like very usable points for the first two weeks. I think Christian Kirk is going to keep this up. Corey Davis, especially weak usage 
in week two look unsustainable and he got like two receptions for like 80 yards or so i can't remember the exact numbers but christian kirk actually looks sustainable this year shout out dynasty outhouse has probably got that right and commanders and the lions like guys i don't know what to tell you uh if getting ashland doolan makes you want to believe in vacated targets how about antonio's uh amon ross st brown actually being good and you not being able to get to that conclusion if you believe targets are something that vacate or move around in that fashion. Like, let's just have Amon Ross St. Brown. Screw the occasional, you know, startable wide receiver flex rank. Yeah, goddamn, 12 targets, 9 receptions, 116 yards, 2 touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown may be the truth. Um, Any other big takeaways? I don't want to go through Jets-Browns. I mean, it was a high-scoring game, but I, I mean, one day they'll throw to Dave and Bell, then I'll talk to him again. Um, Garrett Wilson... Uh, already mentioned Brees Hall and Michael Carter in a strong committee man I don't know why it like because obviously I don't know players Brees Hall should be dominating that but Michael Carter was a good player last year for once a team has weighted that in I guess I don't know I'm strongly disappointed with Brees Hall he's no longer worth a 2023 first round pick. Um, all right, favorite game of the week, most fun game of the week, 42 to 38, Miami versus Baltimore. My lord, it should be illegal to roster uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa or Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson especially. Last week I wrote several times and I said in some of my videos that this offense runs through the tight ends. I misspoke. I mean, the passing offense does, but this offense runs through Lamar Jackson. Like, we knew that, right? Three touchdowns, one of them in the rushing game, 119 yards. He's back. They're, they're back to what they were doing before last year, which is what we expected. Rashad Bateman is surviving on pure talent. He's getting actually decent targets, but again, consider this. They threw the ball how many times? And Lamar Jackson also being a good passer, who knew? 29 times. But they threw the ball, rough count off the top of my head looking at the box score, about 16 times to the tight end position. And they threw the ball 11 times to the wide receiver position. Bateman is going to finish higher, probably from week two perspective, than I thought. I'm wrong. But, like, I'm also... I didn't trade him away for less than uh, his value. Like, we knew he was good. I really didn't think he could earn that much of the wide receiver opportunity there. We thought it was going to be doing what it's doing. But he's just that good. He's still top 24 wide receiver, maybe. So, don't get too excited. Um, But, yeah, def- love to see that. Um, One note from the Baltimore side of things. Uh, there's no running back you want, apart from maybe Mike Davis, but probably not. Um, Isaiah Likely has been incredibly involved through two weeks. Again, this offense is going to run through the tight end. Mark Andrews is the tight end position there, but Isaiah Likely through two weeks. If Trey McBride had done this, I would be like, that would have been the subject of this podcast. Um, if David Bell had done this, I would have been pretty excited. Jalen Water on Tyree Kill. Who would have thought having two top 12 wide receivers on the same team would be a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. But I... I have nothing to compare this to. Both got two touchdowns. Both got over 150 yards. Jalen Waddle had 19 targets. Like, you could divide that up between my three biggest disappointments, and I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be disappointed in them anymore. If there's any lag in the Jalen Waddle value, which there is not, like, you're good. 
buying, selling. He's worth three first-round picks now. Anyway, there's Mimi's box score reading or some things I note from Sunday games. Hopefully that gives you some level, some edge into some of the things I'm going to be noting and talking about through the following week because I love you, Crossroads audience. Um, I really do. You're the longest-running thing I've been doing and um, I really appreciate you. I hope you stuck through for some of this. Yeah, thanks very much. I'll talk to you again next week. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on wherever I have contact information. Anyway, really appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical